0: Thank you so much. Uh, Don't build it up too much now. Um, uh, I have to start, first of all, by just saying thank you uh, for the church that you are. Um, You do a thing that I just am begging all of our churches to do um, at all, and you're doing it really, really well, and that's loving on Dan. Um, My job, as Randall butchered, um, is... We practiced this. No, I'm just kidding. Um, my job, my role at the national office is I'm the director of, of Congregational and Pastoral Vitality, which means church health and pastoral health. And the thing that I'm talking about today goes right along with that. But one of those things is just, man, if we wanna have healthy churches, we have to have healthy pastors. And you know how you have healthy pastors? Give them a break. <laughs> it is hard work. It is hard work. And so what I wanna make sure that you hear from me is, Thank you for taking care of your pastor, but also thank you for taking care of my friend Dan. Um, I got to hang out with him. You guys are going to be jealous. Somebody said not to mention this, but here we are. I already let it out. Um, I got to do dinner with him on Friday. I got to go for a hike with him yesterday. Um, Just any time with Dan, as you all already know, is just a joy. He is a gem. Keep taking good care of Dan. Um, That's my plea, and that's my just celebration, because I know you'll do that. So that's where we start. Uh, Where we're going to go is talking about, again, Sabbath, but not just sabbatical for pastors, but rest for people who are in the kingdom, right? Believers. Throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, we hear a ton about rest and Sabbath. And we see this modeled in Jesus's life. We see this in the Ten Commandments. We see this in creation. And I'm going to unplug a lot of those. But the the central thought that I want to put in your brains for you to look at the, the rest of the sermon is this line. I believe that the language of Sabbath may just be the new language of evangelism. The language of Sabbath may just be the new language of evangelism. And what I mean by that is if we look at the language of Sabbath, think of like a color palette, right? Um, you don't just put pink and red in a room together. Those don't make sense. You, you have a sort of a, a sensibility and intentionality around those The colors that you put, same thing with Sabbath. The words like, and we'll get into this more, but rest, peace, hope, joy. Um, I believe that that is the new language of evangelism. And when I say new, what I mean is historically the American church and the church in the West, I think has made a, a bit of an error in focusing on the wrong things for evangelism. We often start with sinfulness, right? We see sin in somebody's life and we feel like we have to point that out. We have to call it out. Uh, this, I'm saying this truth in love is how we, we, we package it, right? <laughs> Which oftentimes is just, I need you to hear my opinion about your life. Sinfulness. We talk about wrong behavior, wrong beliefs. We try to come up with academic uh, arguments to say, you should love Jesus. And the world that I see outside the church and even inside the church, that's not particularly alluring. Walk up to somebody and say, hey, there's a lot of sin in your life. That does not endear you to them. Blessings. But what if instead we used words like joy, rest, renewal? Doesn't that just sound better? And throughout this entire sermon, I want you to keep this idea in mind. Food is really important to me. I'm going to teach you some stuff about food today. Because Jesus and food, I mean, they're my two favorite things. And my wife. (laughs) I believe this to be true about Sabbath. I think it is a little foretaste of the new creation. Do you know what an amuse-bouche is? Anybody know amuse-bouche? This is one of those cool words. Amuse-bouche. Yeah, thanks, friends. We should hang out after this. Amuse-bouche is like an appetizer, but smaller. An appetizer is not like at Fridays and, and Applebee's where you just go get a bunch of fried stuff. But historically, an appetizer was a way to awaken your palate, to get your, your digestive system alert, to be like, hey, food is coming. Something great. An a bouche is even a smaller thing. And if you go to a fancy restaurant, obviously, if you're using the word a bouche you're not going to Sonic. Amuse-bouche is generally, it's not on the menu, it is a free gift from the chef. You don't pay for it. It's this tiny, it's a bite, one bite that you taste and it wakens you up. And it's like, this is what you should get ready for. The creativity of the chef is all wrapped up in this. I believe that Sabbath is an amuse-bouche of the coming kingdom. Today, we get this little taste. There is still... Sadness, and there's still death, and there's still brokenness. But during Sabbath, we get to kind of set all that aside and just just gobble up the goodness of Jesus. And I say that because we are, and this is not a surprise to anybody, we work hard, right? We're Americans, right? Pull yourself up by your bootstraps, right? We have this. Protestant work ethic and we we think we can make ourselves and we work really really hard and all of the data says that we are the most anxious addicted depressed self-medicating Cohort of humans ever To the point that addictions are off the charts suicide rates Depression over medication these things are all so crazy right now because of the anxiety and depression that the world is experiencing That what we see is the national average for life expectancy is actually going down And I don't have to convince you this you all know somebody you Most of you probably are a person in this room. Who's got great anxiety about stuff. The world is hard There's a lot going on and we keep working through these things and I don't know that that is the appropriate Approach. Instead, I think if we look at Colossians, we get to build that palette of Sabbath words, right? It says, therefore, as God's chosen people, don't forget, you are God's chosen people. Holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Aren't all those words the exact opposite of the ones we were talking about? Anxiety, depression, bitterness, or kindness, compassion, humility. And what if we were to really clothe ourselves in this as the bride of Christ, if we were God's chosen people and we really put on the garments that look like this, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Isn't the world going to just be captivated by that? Don't, don't we look different if we dress ourselves in that? He goes on to say, bear with each other and forgive one another, If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you are called to peace. Oh, and be thankful. Now, I realize, he says, let (laughs) let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. And I've been married 18 years. I know that just telling somebody, do this thing, doesn't work, right? Like, My wife, if she's anxious or worried about something, I say, oh, just don't worry. (laughs) That's helpful 1% of the time. So we say, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. You need to know how to do that, right? Like, cool, yes, I want to do that. But what's next? Well, it isn't just not working, right? Sabbath, we often think is just stop. But it's not just vegging, right? It's not just binge watching The Office for the 14th time. That's not what we're talking about when we talk about Sabbath we have to curate a space in our lives an environment where we can actually hear the voice of jesus where we can kind of sense where the spirit is taking us and there's so much busyness in the world we just don't listen well soren kierkegaard of 1750s kind of theologian says this again i say the date 1750s so think about what was going on then think if we've gotten any better now if i were a physician and if I were allowed to prescribe just one remedy for all the ills of the modern world, I would prescribe silence. For even if the word of God were proclaimed in the modern world, 1750s, how could anyone hear it with so much noise? Therefore, create silence. When I talk about silence, I'll often do this example. Like I'd have Randall come up, and then I'd have you know Eric would come up and start telling him a story. And then I'd have Dennis come up and keep, like while the other story's going on, tell another story. And then I'd tell him a story. And poor Randall's like, at the end of five minutes of five stories coming, he's like, I heard the word chicken and atomization. And that's like that's all he knows. He can't focus on all those things. And that's the world we live in. We have ch- the demands of our family, of our job, of our nation, of our community, of our church. And we don't stop and shut the door on all those things so we can actually hear the voice of the Lord who's speaking into our lives in a powerful way and this is the difference when I talk about Sabbath this is how we curate it stillness silence solitude we experience the things that we want out of Sabbath when we intentionally accept the good gift that is an opportunity an invitation from Jesus to just cease to do to just rest and be right and so we move on to like, okay, what does it look like in that time of silence? We've curated this experience. What do we do? And Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, very famous line says, come to me. This is Jesus speaking to the disciples. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened. Anybody weary or burdened? Anybody have a friend who's weary and burdened? Yeah. <laughs> and I will give you rest. I mean, every time I say the word rest, my blood pressure goes down a little bit. I don't know about if that works for you or not. Then he says, take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Uh, Anybody here a farmer? Oh, good. Anybody here still use, like, stock animals? Yeah? Okay, yeah. Uh, I preached a similar sermon in Indiana. There's a lot of Amish, and like, yes, all the time. So, what happens when you yoke two animals together? Generally, you would take an experienced oxen or horse, and an inexperienced one, and you'd put them together in one yoke so that the the old one could teach the young one what to do, right? This is Jesus saying, hey, you don't know how to experience rest. You don't know how to get rid of your weariness and your burdensomeness. Just do what I do. Come here. He puts his arm around us and he says, do what I do. And what do we see Jesus doing throughout his life? Trying to get away from you all, right? (laughs) He tries to run away from the masses a bunch of times, not because he doesn't love us, not because he doesn't care, not, but it's, it's exhausting. And he knows that the way he's restored is to be in relationship with the Father, to silently sit at the Father's feet and learn, experience rest and peace and joy. When we confess our weariness to him and in community, we sort of accept this invitation and we get to receive that peace and rest. But I think there are some obstacles to Sabbath that uh, at least were a thing for me. My my grandfather was the most godly man I knew growing up. Uh, He was a Seventh-day Adventist man, and at least in his church, they took Sabbath very, very seriously. Sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday. You could not bother Grandpa. He was just in his room, and he lived with my dad, and so I'd go to my dad's house on weekends and visit, but you couldn't visit Grandpa because it was Sabbath. And what he would do is he would just be in his room, and I'd ask my dad, what are you what do you think Grandpa's doing? He's like, just reading and praying. I was like, that sounds terrible. Because I was a 10-year-old and I didn't know Jesus. But what I would see happen is my grandfather would come out from his 24 hours of Sabbath, and you know what he didn't do is he wasn't like, oh, I've just had an encounter with the living God. He was still very austere and, and stoic. There's kind of always been this legalism that has been kind of baked into the way people view sabbatical. Sorry, Sabbath. And some of that comes from this. In, in Exodus we read, this is right out of the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea And all that is in them but he rested on the seventh day therefore the lord blessed the sabbath day and made it holy Um, we do this weird thing in the church we would fire dan if he broke any of the other ten commandments right if he murdered somebody chances are that somebody would have a talk with him but in the american church we do this thing where it's like well we really expect our pastors not to experience sabbath right like you really ought to like just be busy all the time. What if what if somebody calls and needs you? We don't do a great job of protecting this commandment for whatever reason. But the, going back to this legalist idea, in, in in ancient Judaism, they took this so specifically. A couple examples of what you could not do on the Sabbath for comic relief, if nothing else. One, you could dip a radish in salt, but you couldn't leave it there for too long because then you'd be pickling it and that was work. Real thing, you couldn't eat an egg on on the Sabbath day unless you had set it aside the day before, unless that egg came out of the chicken that you had set aside the day before, because then that egg was just a part of the chicken that fell off and you could now eat it. (laughs) You could only walk 3,000 feet from your home, unless, you know, like maybe your BFF lives 4,800 feet Away, you could walk three thousand feet, and then set up a tent, and then you could walk another two thousand feet, but you couldn't just go five thousand feet. Craziness, right? But I think sometimes the the approach that we take to to Sabbath is like, well, it's, we got to be very particular, and I can't do anything except this austere, stoic things. And I want to paint a different picture for you. In the third century, fourth century, both Jewish leaders and Christian leaders got together and were like. That's not what sabbath is about at all instead we ought to we ought to think of sabbath as a guest coming to our home an honored cherished guest that comes to our home every saturday or sunday or wednesday whenever you can do it but you make preparations for an honored guest right if the queen well (laughs) if the king um, (laughs) was coming to your house you would probably put your underwear away, right? You would probably like clean the toilets. You would prepare the environment for something special to happen because you have honor for the guest. And it reminds me that this is a picture from a wedding that I was in. Um, they do these things now, I don't know what they're called, great reveals. Anybody young do one of these? Like you actually see the spouse, the wife before? Yeah, is there, what's the name for that? First look, there it is, thank you. The first look. So this couple, one of my best friends, they, were, they live in Colorado. We went up to the mountaintop where they had gotten engaged, and, and they, you know, the bride comes out of the thing, and it's just this really tender moment. But my friend Joe was perfect. Trimmed his nose hairs, trimmed his ear hairs, <laughs> made sure there was no lint on his jacket, and he saw his bride, and he instantly started to sob. And his wife came out and she had already trimmed her nose hairs and ear hairs too. And she's presented to him. And there's this mutual love and affection and adoration and expectation. That's what Sabbath is. It is an invitation for me to just sit every week and date the living God. To just sit in his presence. To be restored by the good works of of who Jesus is. Genesis 1 talks about this in in, in the creation story. God saw that all he had made was good, very good. And there was an evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus, the heavens and the earth were completed and all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God, again, blessed the seventh day and made it holy, meaning he set it apart. He made it something different. Because on it, he rested from all the work. Of creating that he had done Um, it is not the case that the Trinity Yahweh wasn't like man my hands are really tired that Grand Canyon was hard to dig out right it wasn't like a more intellectual approach where he's like man I just had these random pieces and I came up with a platypus that was really like that was exhausting for me what he's doing is he's modeling for us the people that he has created a clearing of his schedule So all that's left is time with his people, right? So um, again, I I love food. Does anybody hear barbecue? I don't mean grilling hot dogs, but I mean barbecue, great. Um, Brisket, right? Everybody's favorite. If it's not your favorite cut of meat, don't tell me. It's everybody's favorite cut of meat. But there's a lot of preparation that goes into it, right? Salt and pepper. You've got to trim out that weird triangular wedge in the middle of fat so it lays flat. And then you, you put it on the, the smoker or your charcoal or your oak for 16 hours. And then what do you do? You pull it off and you start cutting it up, right? No. You will ruin it. What is the last step of making barbecue? It rests. Because all those juices are popping around in there, right? And if you cut it, uh, those of you who maybe don't, Barbecue, but have you ever like put a, a bratwurst on a grill? You pick it up with a fork and all that juice squirts out? Oh. So those are tears. That's what those are. Those are sausage tears. <laughs> Rest is not an accidental part of the story. It's an integral ingredient in creation. It's baked into how we ought to relate to Jesus. It's not that he got done early. It's not like, oh, i got all this time. I guess we'll just look at each other. No, he, like, this is a part of the plan. And somehow we just reject it. We just kind of forget about it. We dismiss it. We don't, it's like there's a Christmas gift under the tree with our name on it. And we're just like, oh, I'll get to it. Maybe next year. So everybody knows this verse, right? This is the great commandment. Guy comes up jesus okay i can't do all these things or maybe i've already done all these things but what does it really come down to what do i really need to be about and jesus says love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind this is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it love your neighbors yourself all the laws and prophets um, hang on these two commandments it is my belief that heart soul and mind are way more intimately connected than we generally think right if you are physically exhausted you're probably emotionally tired too if you've had a really stressful psychological week, probably you're not like prancing around. You're, like, you're, those three things interact with one another. And the call of Christ is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. And I feel like what often happens is we just have leftovers. There's scraps. By the time you're done running your kids or grandkids around and you're working your job and then you're volunteering at this place and then Dan wants you to do this thing at the church... By the time we're done with all those things we just like we we can't give all of our anything because there's just these scraps left it's like making a meal with an empty cabinet right you can do it like it looks like there might be beans maybe a can of chunky soup in there you can do something with that maybe some sardines like you can make something with that but if that's what you're bringing into your relationships, if that's, the, if, those are the, if that's just what's left, and you're trying to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and you're trying to love yourself, and you're trying to love your neighbor, but we're just so fatigued and distracted and tired that there's just nothing left. How many of you have seen or been the dad who just works really, really, really hard to provide for your kids, and then you get home, and you're just like, oh, gosh. Please don't come jump on my lap. <laughs> you just wanna read the paper. If we don't spend time in Sabbath, if we don't spend time in renewal, if we don't spend time in the presence of Jesus, um, I don't think that we end up um, with a whole lot left to give. So my argument is this, that, that Sabbath really ought to be a feast of rest and peace. It's, I mean, it's literally an invitation and a commandment from God to stop what you're doing and, and come over and hang out, sit with me, be still and know that I am God. So do you see how this is like, this is evangelism today, I think. You can say I'm wrong, but man, if you, <laughs> there are so many people, this is not even, this is not a joke. People are literally dying, killing themselves for rest, for hope and peace. Literally, they're dying for it. What if we could be the people that are clothed in that peace, and that hope, and that joy? And so when people see us in our lives, and we're not getting all frenzied and worked up into a lather about all the crap going on in the world, but we are these, these bastions of hope and peace, and not, not inauthentically, Not ignorantly of what's going on in the world, but if we can just say, you know what, my God's big enough. I think last time I was here, I talked about how God's not surprised by anything that's going on. It's not like he's got Fox News on and he's like, oh, shoot. He's not surprised by anything. He's got it. If we could be people that exhibit the fact that we have trust and faith in that God because our lives are built around rest and renewal, that's attractive. That's alluring. That's where people who don't know Jesus say, man, I want what you have. What is going on in your life? How are you able to sit there (laughs) the way you are? Yeah, let's talk about that. But it is a feast. People don't need to hear what they've done wrong yet, right? They need to hear about peace and joy and rest. At the end of the day, the, the invitation of Sabbath... The promise of Sabbath is restoration and renewal, because God knows the world is hard. He sees what's going on around us, and He knows that we need it. Why would we not receive the gift? There's a a parable in Luke, Luke 14, 16 to the end. Uh, It's a banquet, and Jesus is talking about how uh, a king goes and he starts inviting all these people. And one guy's like, I just got married, I can't. I just got some land, I can't. I just got new oxen, I got to take them for a test drive. We just keep making these excuses when the invitation is just come and feast with me, sup with me, my chosen people, my bride. Come and be with me. So my encouragement is just that. Let's just be people who take the time, have the faith to cease. We don't take ourselves too seriously and think the world's going to fall apart if I disappear. I'm just not that important. And neither are you. Let's just carve out time intentionally to create an opportunity to sit at the feet of the Lord and learn and be restored. I'm going to pray and then I think Eric is coming up. Uh, Father God, we are so grateful. Um, You are the only one that does this. (laughs) All of the other ancient Near Eastern religions, people groups, when they talk about creation, they don't build in rest. You do from the very beginning. It's an invitation that you've extended to us since the world was was crafted. So Father, I pray that as we, um, your people, look out at a world that is filled with despair and anxiety and depression. Lord, I pray that we would not be people who add to that, um, but that we would be people who can produce, um, uh, who can provide uh, alleviation for the stresses of the world because people see us and in us they see hope and faith and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control Lord, we commend the rest of this time um, to you we pray that your spirit would be close to us and that we would recognize its presence in us and among us and we pray all this in the name of jesus amen